Praise God. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And, and just as a matter of follow-up to the songs that we heard today and so forth, where the singer, the artist, was talking about that's when God steps in. There are many times in our lives that we are simply holding on to something that we're holding back from God. We're praying for, praying for answers and looking for things and asking God to do something in our lives. But many times we hold back something that we may, may need to release. Some things in our lives we hold to be so important to us that we're not willing to kind of just sacrifice and just let it go so that God can work with us and work with um, what, what we have and to, to deal with it and move forward. So um, we need to open up before the Lord and, and just let him have his way in our lives without, without holding back. Amen? Amen? Well, today being that this is uh, what many people call Palm Sunday, we're going to, to look at the events of the week before the resurrection and uh, and how things how things came about there and it's just interesting so interesting I always find that um, the very same crowd that was um, that was hailing Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem were the same people that later on would be crying for his crucifixion so as we continue on to Resurrection Sunday which is next week we move forward to see God's plan unfold because this is where the beginning of man's salvation uh, takes place. Um, um, actually goes back to the to the foundations of time. I mean, God knew what would need to be done at some point because Jesus uh, Jesus was indeed indeed prophesied as well as his existence was prophesied. So also was his um, entry into uh, into Jerusalem. And so, if you turn in your in your Bibles to Zechariah nine. Zechariah chapter 9 we're going to as we know the events of the crucifixion and everything take place in the New Testament uh, when we look in the book of Zechariah which is Old Testament uh, I mean this was written some time before obviously uh, the events actually took place and so we just I like to always look at the Bible to see how God's word so wonderfully ties together uh, nothing is by chance nothing happens uh, in God's world in God's kingdom by chance. God is, I always say, is the master planner. I mean, he knows exactly what needs to be done and, and how, to, uh, how to go about getting it done. And I just find it so fascinating to look at texts, scriptures that were written thousands of years apart. Um, the words that were stated back then actually came to pass. The events actually came to pass uh, many years later. Uh, so we look to Old Testament and that, that's why I always, uh, you know, I refute and challenge people when they say that um, we live in New Testament times, the Old Testament doesn't apply any longer, and so forth. Uh, how can you separate the two? You know, the two are, 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 are explicitly uh, linked together. Um, the, the Old Testament, the prophecies that were written back then, and things that came to pass later on in New Testament, the two are linked. You know, so you can't say that um, I'll take this part of the Bible and not that. Uh, furthermore, it's all God's Word, so we can't pick and choose what we're going to accept and what we're not going to accept. So looking at Zechariah chapter 9, and we're just going to look at one scripture here, verse number 9, Zechariah 9, 9, simply says, Rejoice greatly, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass. Please underline, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, 
the foal of, of an ass. So underline those words there. Okay, and just kind of just keep that in the back of your mind. So he, here you see that it's talked about um, the, daughter, the king will come unto thee and how he's going to be arriving. arriving. So now let's go forward in time to Matthew. Book of Matthew, chapter 6. Again, I just love to, I just love to link the two. You know, Jesus' uh, birth was also prophesied in Old Testament. You can read the scriptures there. You know how it was described. The crucifixion was also uh, talked about in pretty much detail about the sinews and the bones being separated in Old Testament. You know, so, and it just makes you... It just makes you have a greater respect and love for the word of God because while these things, again, I say, were penned, were written um, uh, thousands of years uh, apart, it only, the only way that could have happened was if there was one author. And, of course, that one author is the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, again, it just puts to, puts to shame people that try to refute the word of God. So, Matthew chapter 6 and starting with verse number 1. And these words, most of these words are written in red, meaning that it's uh, Jesus speaking. And this is also referred to as the sermon, sermon on the mount, on the mount. And the reason I'm starting here is because I want to paint the picture in terms of what was leading up to the resurrection. Jesus' ministry, after, as you know, after he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist, he went into the desert and was tempted by the devil for three days, okay, and he shot him down each time. Using, using scripture, Jesus, you know, defeated the devil in the, in, the, uh, in the wilderness. And then on from there, that's when Jesus' ministry started. It was after that, okay. Also, if you recall, when he was being baptized by John, uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the voice from the, from the sky, from heaven, opened up and said, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, you know. And this is the only time in Scripture, by the way, where it shows the, the Trinity together in one place, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus was filled with Holy Spirit, and then he went into the, to start the ministry. And the ministry that he started was quite different from what was being talked and preached during that time. As you know, the ruling class were the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and so forth. That was the ruling uh, religious order back then, and that's exactly what it was, a religious order. Because so many things they talked about doing and they said was in Scripture, they themselves did not do. So the message that Jesus was bringing was so radical, quote-unquote, it was so new, that it was, it, it was setting everything that they understood and realized, it was, setting it, it, was, it was upsetting their apple cart greatly, so to speak. So we want to look at what Jesus was saying during the Sermon on the Mount, just to give us some idea of where Jesus was coming from. And all of this was leading up to that week, that week in destiny, that day in destiny, on Resurrection Sunday, on, good, on when he was crucified on Good Friday, and so forth. And it was all leading up to that. So starting with verse number one. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. To be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, let not your left hand know what thy right hand doeth. 
that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Okay? So right there now, this new message of his, what he's saying to them is don't be out there, you know, when you give to somebody, to be out there beating your chest about it and screaming all over the place. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I gave. Look what I gave. You know? And we even see that somewhat today. You know, we see people that when they give something, it's like they want the credit. They want the whole world to know and they go bragging about, this is what I gave. This is what I did. Jesus is saying, don't do that. You know, the giving that you do, the good things that you do, God knows that. And that's all that matters. You don't have to be out there beating your chest in front of men just to be praised of men. Okay? So right away now, and he's saying today, you know, don't do as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. So I'm sure that made them real happy to to hear that. Then he goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say in verse number 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Okay? And again, we can identify with that too also in the, here in the 21st century, you know, where you'll see some people that think that, oh gosh, if I come with a whole lot of these and thous and shouting up and down, praise the Lord, and doing it the loudest in the sanctuary, and, and making a whole commotion that that's going to make them seem holier, you know. And what this is saying is that you pray to God because God knows your heart. God knows what's going on in your life. There's no need for you to try and, and impress other people, you see. And, and this is, is, again, this is upsetting the apple cart because this is not the way they were accustomed to, quote-unquote, worshiping God. You see, and, he, and Jesus said, hypocrites, because they were doing all this loud praying, they were doing all this talk about much giving, but what were they really, really doing in their lives relative to helping people or relative to, to living out a godly life, you see. So Jesus is saying here that it's hypocritical, you know. When we have something going on in our lives, there's no need for us to run around bragging to people or saying to people, you know, you know how much I pray, how often I pray, and so on like that. I mean, it's great if someone asks you, do you pray often? You say, yes, I have a schedule. I try to keep to a schedule. I pray this time, that, 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 whatever, whatever, you know. But it's not going about with a, um, like beating your chest and sounding off to make yourself appear so religious, you know, um, or, or so greater than thou, or, 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 or so holy, you know. It, it kind of drives me nuts when I hear, hear people um, that say, uh, yeah, we went out... Um, um, Saturday night, we went down to under the bridge, and all of these people were down there, you know. And I had all these people come around me, and I was preaching the word. And I saved 70 souls last week. I saved 25 souls. But well, the first place, you didn't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the calling. Okay, all right, all right. But yet still, I see people like they want you to bow down and say, "Oh, he's so great. He's she is so great." They went down and they saved all their people. He he prays, you know, you know, ninety hours a week, and he's a. You don't need to impress people by doing that. All you need to do is to just focus on you praying to God and living out your life the way God wants you wants you you to live. To do otherwise, as Jesus is saying, is hypocritical. But to the point at hand, 
that we're talking about today, what led up to the resurrection, these were the words. This was the, the, the radical new message that Jesus Christ was bringing to the ruling religious society at that time. Okay? So it's no small wonder that they were getting upset. All right? It goes on to say here in verse number 8. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. Now, we've read this scripture many times, and you've heard me say many times, God knows what's on your mind. God knows what you need before you even realize that you need it. See? But many times, what does scripture say? Say, say, say elsewhere that your prayer is not answered because you don't know how to ask. You know, and sometimes you don't receive because you don't even ask. You know, you know? So, so God knows your need. God knows your need. You know, so all you need to do is to simply to bring it to him. You know, quietly, in secret when you're praying. You don't need the whole world to know about it. You know what the issue is in your life. You know what's going on. To bring it to God. Then verse number 9 says, After this manner, therefore pray. Pray you, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father give you, give, uh, forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. There's the word again, hypocrites. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they uh, disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Okay? But when thou fastest, anoint your head, and wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Okay? Again, it's putting on all of the front of being a Christian, you know, you know, and I, I have seen this in my long Christian career where, you know, pastor would call a fast or ask those to join in a fast, you know, and then some people would just come into church just dragging and so on like that and just looking so miserable, you know. Oh, what's the matter with you? Oh, boy, well, I've been sticking to this fast, man. Well, it's supposed to end it. End today. I'll be so glad. I'm just so weak. I'm just so that, you know. So telling the whole world, okay, so you participated in the fast. What you should be doing, you should be coming to church and going about your business the way you do every other single day. Washing your face, combing your hair, being of a good countenance and whatnot. Because this is a blessed thing. This is a blessed thing. You don't have to go around telling the world, well, look at me, I'm fasting. I mean, looking like you're so holy of the other folks. God knows what you're doing, and, if that's the, and that is not the purpose of your fast, to impress men, to impress, impress other people. So he's saying here, do not do as the hypocrites do, you know, you know, looking all down and dragging around, but wash your face, you know, um, um, but thou, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I think what he's saying there is that he's kind of 
bursting the bubble of religiosity, if, if you will, you know. Um, and we, we Christians have to be so careful that we don't get caught up in the fact like we're trying to interest, in, impress people by the fact that we are Christians. Amen. We should be living a godly life as best as possible. We should be following the word of God as best as possible. And we don't have to go around thumping our chests and saying, look at me, because that's hypocrisy. If you love the Lord and if you love God and if you understand what Jesus is saying here, then you know that a lot of our, of our Christian walk is between us and God. Now, does that mean that we should not try to be a good model for those that are not yet saved? Yes, indeed we should. But there's, it, it, it matters how you go about doing that. You know, we don't carry big heavy Bibles in our arms and go around bashing people in the back of their heads to bring them to the Lord. You know, what dummy? You don't know who the Lord is? Bang, bang, bang. You gotta follow after me. You have to follow after me. So, so, so Jesus again, to get back to the point, is upsetting things with the way he's talking here about, uh, about what quote unquote uh, religion is all about. Because we, as I've said a million times, you know, uh, Christianity is not a religion, but it's a way of life. Verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt. And where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves um, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not uh, break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Worried about your bank account? Worried about being able to save up money? Money, 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 money. I got to put money away. Got to put money away. Okay? If that's what you're worried about all the time, that's where your heart is. In other words, that's what's really important to you. Amen? That's what's really important. And Jesus is saying here, don't be laying up your treasures there. Where you should be laying up your treasures is, is in heaven. And the way we lay up our treasures in heaven is by leading a, a godly life as best as possible. You know, by praying, by reading the word, by going to church, by consulting Holy Spirit and consulting God, by living a good, godly Christian life. Amen. That's where your treasure is. In other words, that's what, what should be important to you. You see? Because he's saying here, here that uh, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart, your heart shall be also. So if the most thing and thing that's most important to you is your bank account, then that's really where your heart is at. That's your main, that's your main priority in life. Amen? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body, verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore... Uh, the light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. Underline, please. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold, hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? Now here, of course, it's talking about money. You can't serve God. Mammon is money. You can't serve God and mammon. Okay? You got to make up your mind what's most important to you, you know, God in this case, or, or is it money, you know? But that even goes beyond that because we can't have we can't serve two masters. That that works in our lives in so many ways because so many times um, uh, um, going to church or reading the Word or praying to God that'll take second place to something else that we want to do in life. 
You know, many times instead of focusing on God and taking time uh, um, to pray or, 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 or putting off the family, putting off friends or putting off some other occasion that's going on to say, no, you know, this is my prayer time with the Lord or I'm going to church or I'm doing this with, with the Lord. I'm, I wanted this or whatever, where, where God takes um, a second place in our lives, you know, and we have to be careful not to not to let that happen. You, you know, things come up that would um, divert you away from your time with God then you tell those people to wait or you put it off you know and, and, and I say to you the way things are going I think it's time that we children of God really really wake up the signs are before us things are not the way they were 5 years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago alright something is afoot there's definitely a spiritual war that is going on and is trying, is playing itself out in this country as well as the rest of the world. We see that there's a spiritual war going on. And if you're really, really astute and you're sharp and you watch what's going on and watch who the players are, you can trace it right back to Scripture. Right back to Scripture. Amen? Amen? So we Christians need to start really thinking about who our master is, you know, um, where our priorities are. All right? Are we going to put God in second place or are we going to be bold Christians and stand up to what we know God would want us to do? You know, you see, because wherever things go in this land, we Christians need to firmly believe and understand that God will take care of us. God will take, that God will take care of us, okay? But if someone shows up at your door and you have to make a decision to confirm or deny your love for the Lord, to confirm or, de- or deny who you are in Christ Jesus, how bold would you be? How bold would you be to say, no, I'm sticking to my love for the Lord, okay? Now, I pray that we'll never get to that place, you know, but I, I often think about it. I mean, God forbid, what if we did get to the place where the, the um, uh, anti-Jesus police showed up at the door and put a gun to your head and told you to denounce Christ? You know, would you do that? Would you do that? Okay, and I pray that the Lord returns before that ever would come to happen here. Of course, you know, we will, we're not supposed to be here during the tribulation. But I'm just saying, though, what is your level of commitment to God? You know, or is he, is he one that holds second place? Verse 24 again, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So we see here that Jesus was indeed bringing about a whole different message. And now I'm going to John, John 12. Okay, we see here now what was prophesied in Zechariah. John 12. Okay, John 12. And we're going to start at verse number 1. Praise God. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus, uh, but Lazarus was one of them that was sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. 
Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Okay, so what was happening here? was that because of the word, this radical new message that Jesus was teaching, he was, his following was growing. He also, before that, he had raised Lazarus from the dead, okay, which, which increased the people that were following. Okay, the ruling order, the Pharisees there and the Sadducees, they didn't like what Jesus was doing. So they were already, they were plotting, they were plotting, you know, we need to get rid of him, we need to get rid of him. Now, we know, what, we know where the story ends, so I don't, I'm not jumping forth to next week, Easter Sunday, but the point that I'm making here is that we can see that, um, how Jesus brought this method, this message, and he did not turn away, he did not shy away from it. He was speaking the word like it is, he was telling it like it is, which was upsetting the ruling class. They did not like what he was saying. So then we see at verse number 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, underlined palm trees, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Now I had you underline palm trees because this is the only one of the four gospels that actually says palm trees. And this is where, while the other gospels talk about Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, this particular scripture is the only one that actually says palm. And this is where the tradition that the church has of having Palm Sunday and cutting up palms and giving them out and so on like that. And every year when I talk about this time of year, um, I always kind of caution people if that's the right word because over the years being in ministry many ministries over the years and so forth I have seen some folks where they take the palm and they almost make it a holy item you know they'll have it in the back of the church and then at the end of the service <laughs> these people that were so holy during the service they go to the back and they're fighting to get the palm back there and they're stepping on each other's feet and snatching the palm branches and so forth and then some of them will go home and cut them into little crosses and so forth and then hang them over the bed over the headboard at night to keep them safe okay now that is the, the palm is not holy all right there's nothing magic in palm already and it's, this sunday has become has become known as palm sunday but really it's the day that jesus made his entry into jerusalem so i'm simply saying that as just as an aside so that we christians don't get caught up into worshiping a plant all right a palm is, is a plant it's a plant it's a plant um it is further taken a step further because those palms then are then actually collected and, and saved by the church for one full year and it's recycled around to Ash Wednesday. Now Ash Wednesday as you know is 40 days before before Resurrection Sunday. That palm that is 
made available for the churches. That palm is collected and saved by the church, and it is then recycled and is burned and is turned into ashes, and people show up on Ash Wednesday to get the ash on their forehead. Nothing in scripture at all about that, but anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole different thing. I'm just simply trying to paint a picture to you that Resurrection Sunday is a very meaningful time of year for us, and it is steeped, it is steeped in the holiness of Jesus Christ. Man, through the years, over the centuries, has taken certain parts of it and kind of twisted it, you know, and kind of perverted it, getting almost away from the, from the spiritual um, uh, realities and the spiritual significance of this time of year, okay? So that's the only reason that I put it in, and I always choose John to preach from because I, I want to point out the thing about, about the palm. So anyway, so we see there... Where it says, um, they took the, in verse 14, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set thereon, as it is written. Please underline, as it is written. Okay, and the as it is written, if you, matter of fact, if your Bible has a footnote there, it will be referring back to Zechariah 9.9. Okay, if there's a little footnote next to um, it is written, it's referring back to the prophecy that was made in Zechariah 9.9 that we read a few minutes, uh, a little while ago. Verse number 15 says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, the king comes, sitting on an ass's colt. Now, didn't we just read that in Zechariah? These things understood, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people therefore... Uh, the people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive you how you prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. Please put a bracket around 19 because now you see they're really, really getting upset because the people are following him more and more. And even here the disciples, after these things, events happen, they realize that gee whiz, what this man Jesus is doing is what was talked about by Zechariah. Okay, you see? So all of a sudden, it's beginning to click. All of a sudden, it's beginning to click. Okay? So we see here that Jesus fulfilled um, the prophecy. Now, in closing scriptures here, you go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Okay? The events are unfolding. Matthew 26. Okay. If you could just see this, and I, 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 I always kind of wonder what was going through Jesus' mind each one of these steps as he was going through. You know, Lazarus, the words that he was preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, looking at those Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees, knowing when he was calling them hypocrites, knowing that he was angering them, you see. But in God's plan, Jesus was telling the truth of what the kingdom is all about. But God knew that these people had to be angered. Because in a manner of speaking, God had to get Jesus to the cross. Okay? Now, if he had just spoken exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying, would they have gotten upset with him? Would they have taken him to the cross? If he had decided not to rock the boat, 
and just keep the religious order the way it was. First place, he'd be lying because the kingdom of God is not the way they were carrying out um, the kingdom of God. All right? But what if he had decided to just keep quiet so he didn't agitate the crowd? What if we decide to just stay quiet? Knowing the truth, but when someone is talking something other than the truth, in order to not rock the boat, we just decide to keep our mouths shut. You know? Are we really, really, really then being followers of Christ when we know the truth? Jesus knew the truth because he said, Jesus said repeatedly, I am saying the things which my father told me. So Jesus knew the truth. So in our lives, when we know the truth, based on what God tells us through his word and what Holy Spirit tells us through, through, through his ministerings to us, we know the truth. Suppose we decide to just keep quiet, to, knock, to not rock the boat, you see? So this time of year to me is also a time of intro, introspection. It's a time of reflection where I stop and think about in my life, as Jesus was so bold to proclaim the gospel and to, to proclaim what God the Father really said to him, how bold am I? How bold have I been during the past year, the first 12 months since last, last Resurrection Sunday? How bold have I been? And how bold will I be? Okay, you see, you know, you know, once you've, once you've come to Jesus Christ and you've accepted him Lord and Savior, and if you've been reading the word of God, if you've been praying, if you've been attending church, then you understand truth. You understand truth. Now we all, of course, we're all growing and we're all continually learning and things, whatnot, okay, so we're, we are all at various levels of understanding truth. But you know truth, you know the basis, the basic uh, truth, amen? So how bold are we? You know, so this time of year to me, it's it's a year of of exhilaration. It's a year where I really feel good because I know that coming next week, the Resurrection Sunday, and I'm reminded of how Jesus died for my sins and cleansed me and paved the way for me to to be able to talk to God in His name and so forth. And I think about all of that. I also think about how bold He was, one man standing up against uh, an entire society, an entire religious order, but nothing slowed Him down. So Matthew 26, verse, 20, uh, verse 36. Okay, the next step in the process here. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith, then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry you therefore, and watch with me. Please underline, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Okay? And in verse 37, underline, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Okay? So at this point, what this is saying here is that Jesus, I think, the man was realizing what he had before him. But then Jesus, also the Son of God, was realizing that this task that was about to befall him would be separating him, would be separating him from God the Father. And so he was beginning to feel sorrowful. And his spirit was feeling heavy. Then he goes on to say in verse 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Put a bracket or highlight all of verse 39. Well, no farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, if it is possible, let this job that I have to do, let this thing that I have to face, let this time that is about to come before me, let this thing I have to do, Lord, Father, God, if there's any other way, please, let there be another way. But then it's like, then he regrouped. And he remembered. And he says, no, however, not what I want, Dad, but whatever you will. Whatever you will. Okay? And that is a scripture that we should, be, have, we should have in the forefront of our lives all the time. You know? Oh, boy, oh, boy, Lord, if I could do this, if I could do that, gee whiz, Lord, I could do... You know, but however, Father, not the way I want it to be. What is your will? You know, what is God's will for your life? You know, this thing that I want so much, does that overshadow my love for God? Or that, does that overshadow um, the, the, the knowledge that I need to just give in and let God do what he wants me to do? Or, or I'll do what God wants me to do and let God do what he wants to do in my life. You see, so Jesus here, he decided, you know, that's why I always say that. Resurrection Sunday is the most important time of the year um, because if, if he, what if Jesus was able to all of a sudden say no? What if he was able to just, and I, gee whiz, it, 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 it scares the daylights out of me to think what would have happened if that was even possible for Jesus to say no. You know? But he didn't. Not my will, but your will be done. Then he goes on to say in verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples and finds them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done. So in other words, he's saying, Okay, Father, if there's no other way, I will take it. I surrender. Your will be done. Okay? Now, how many times in our lives do we do that? How many times do we just insist on still trying to do things ourselves instead of just giving in and just saying, Okay, God, your way. Your way. You know? You see? And there may come a time in your life where something may not, may, not, may not be too attractive to you that you feel Holy Spirit is telling you to do. There may come a time in your life, something that you're praying for, and you hear Holy Spirit saying to you, this is what I need you to do. I want you to take steps A, B, C. You know, and then you, you just feel, oh gosh, do I really have to do that? How many times do we easily say, okay, God, whatever it is that you want, I'll do it. Your will be done. Simple obedience. He says in verse 40, and he goes on to say in verse 43, And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Again. And he left them, and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, saying unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that does betray me. Okay? 
He goes on to say, And while he yet spoke, yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve men, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him uh, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest, uh, of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot show, I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Please in the line. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Uh, underline or highlight verse 53 also. He's saying, no, don't you know that my father could send twelve legions of angels? But he said, but if that was to happen, then how can the scriptures be fulfilled? You see how dynamite that is? Jesus knew that he, he, he could have gotten out of there very easily. He could have escaped it. Or he not even escaped it. He just could have stood there and let his angels just destroy the enemy there. But he said, however, if I do that, if I do that, then the scriptures will not be fulfilled. Verse 55, in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Underline. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And all the disciples forsook him and fled. So here we see how it, it played out on that, on that night before. Every single step of the way leading up to this, Jesus knew what he was doing. He was being obedient to the Father. Again, all throughout his ministry, many, many times he's saying, the things I say is what the Father is telling me. He was bringing a brave new message, a radical new message. He was upsetting the religious order. Jesus knew that at the appointed time he would be taken, but he also knew that this is what was prophesied by Zechariah. And he knew that this had to happen to fulfill scriptures. And he also knew that this had to happen in order to save you and me. So we are sitting here today comfortably in our world, comfortably going to church, comfortably um, living our lives, comfortably going through life with a, in a, with a challenge here and there and, and, and a tribulation here and there and, and praying and God delivering us. But the most important here is the ultimate, is eternity. It's salvation. Amen? Amen? Because of the work that Jesus did, you know, we have access to the Father in his name. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, now we do not have to be under the dominion of darkness and sickness and death. Because Jesus defeated all of that. And as we go into Resurrection Sunday next week, we shall continue to see how Jesus overcame um, everything that was put before him, everything that was in line with Scripture, even up to the method of crucifixion and his, and his dying, his physical death. Amen. And this week should give us time to reflect on that even more. So I just ask you all through this week, think about the things that we just talked about here today. How, how faithful am I to the Word of God? 
how faithful am I to, to speaking and standing up for what the word of God says we should be doing as Christians and how I'm bringing it into my life. Amen. Amen. And look forward to having a wonderful Resurrection Sunday next week. Praise God. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. Now before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.